You're listening to audio from the Mariner Campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. You know, the past few messages that he shared with us on fear and anxiety, he gave us a lot of tools, ways that we can combat against the fear and anxieties that come after us every day. This is the reality. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, battle or have battled with fear and anxiety, especially the last few years with all that is happening around the world. And so he gave us some pointers. I encourage you, if you haven't heard these messages, go to cachurch.ca. You can check it out. They've been immensely encouraging to me, and I know they will be for you as well. But he reminded us that people of faith, we should be people who are of faith and not terrorized by fear. That the opposite of fear, which most of us think is courage, is not courage, it's actually faith. Fear destroys our faith if we choose to allow it to dominate our lives. It's a very big problem these days, and it's responsible for many Christians not choosing to trust in God and believe in Him. Many Christians, even in this room today, our hope is fading because of this fear. Mark also briefly mentioned in one of those sermons that there is a bad fear and a good fear, an unhealthy fear and a healthy fear. See, the bad fear cripples us, It paralyzes us. A good fear actually is healthy. It gives us life and it protects us. And so today we're going to talk about the healthy fear as we conclude our series. And the healthiest of all fears is the fear of the Lord. Now this sounds like an odd statement. Why would we be terrified of God? This is not the reality of what the scriptures mean when we see over 275 times fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. And so we're going to unpack that. But before we unpack that, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer this morning. There are uh, two people, people groups, that are going to react differently in this message. The first group are those who are walking around on eggshells. You're just terrified that God is going to just snipe you with a lightning bolt and you're toast. And you're walking around just terrified at the Lord. This is a bad fear, a crippling fear. And so for you this morning, you're going to feel comfort. Others in the room are walking around with a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're just sinning and sinning and sinning, living in disobedience, living in darkness, knowing the right way, choosing the wrong way, asking for grace and doing it over and over again. And you're kind of using the grace cheaply. And for you, you're going to be afflicted this morning. Because this is the reality for us. Some will be comforted and some will be afflicted. So what do we mean when we talk about healthy fear? Let's uh, read a passage of scripture. If you're able, why don't you stand? And we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 13. If you have your Bibles or the ones in front of you, you can grab one of those. Deuteronomy 13 verses 4 is what we're going to read today. This is what it says. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us what this means? Would you open our eyes to what it means to truly fear you? What does that mean? How can we live like this? How could we hold fast to you? How could we serve you, follow your commands, and just walk after you, Lord? Would you teach us your way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the fear of the Lord is something that is incredibly important to the life of the believer. It's not only that we need to understand it, but we need to put it into practice. 
Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of all sorts of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One gives us understanding. So this is a big deal. And I want to uh, just again highlight this reality that for some of us in the room, God is going to comfort the afflicted and he's going to afflict, afflict the comforted. So before we dive into this passage in Deuteronomy, let's define first what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? Now, oftentimes in our culture, fear is a negative term. Fear is used to manipulate, to distort, to distract. This is not the fear of the Lord. This is not how God operates. He doesn't give us this fear so that we can worship him or he tries to, you know, force us to be obedient. This is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord in Scripture actually means to revere, to respect, and to be in awe of. It's respect, it's reverence, it's being in awe of God. And so how do we do this? How do we live a life that is respecting God, where we have reverence towards Him? What does that look like in our lives? They're going to give you three things. It's perspective, it's posture, and it's pursuit. My wife makes fun of me all the time. Every time I preach, I always have to have three P's or three T's or three S's, but this is how I remember personally. I hope you, uh, this could be a blessing to you. If not, I'm terribly sorry. But it's perspective, it's posture, and it's pursuit. We have to have a proper perspective of who God is. We need to have the right heart posture towards him, and we need to be actively pursuing his presence. So perspective, posture, and pursuit. Let's talk about the first one, a proper perspective. So if we want to respect, revere, be in awe of who God is, we need to have a proper perspective of who he is. He's not just the man upstairs. And if we want to respect and have reverence and be in awe of who God is, we also need to have the proper perspective of who we are. Oftentimes we think lower of God, that he's just the man upstairs, And sometimes we think highly of ourselves. You know, I'm doing good. I'm doing good deeds. I'm doing good things. I'm a good person. When when that perspective is off on both ends, we are not living with a healthy fear, respect, reverence, and in awe of who God is. So let's talk about this. God is powerful. He is light. And he is just. And so we need to have a perspective that he is those things And we need to have a perspective that he is powerful and we are powerless. He is light. We live in darkness. He is just and we are actually people who are unjust. This is our reality for us today. And so he is powerful and we are powerless. Psalm 29 verse 1 to 11 says this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then it continues just describing specifically the voice of the Lord. Starting in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Flashes forth flames of fire. So even the Bible does F's and P's and C's, so don't judge me. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, and in his temple all cry glory. The voice of the Lord is described as powerful like thunder and lightning. Now, this is a fun fact. Did you know that the average lightning volt has one billion volts? And one billion volts produces 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit of heat, which is five times the heat of the surface of the sun. This is 
describing the voice of the Lord. Think of Genesis. Think of the first book of the Bible, the creation story, where God speaks and things are created. He breathes out stars and he names them with his voice. He speaks the water into existence and it just comes to be. God's voice is powerful. How many of us in this room can do that? Cool, cool, cool. So we're powerless. Sweet. Okay, perspective. He is powerful. We are powerless. We actually see this in the life of Jesus as well. If you think of the story, I mean, God, it says specifically in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you think about the story of Jesus on the boat and there's a storm, there's wind, there's waves crashing everywhere, the disciples are freaking out, and Jesus thinks this is a perfect opportunity to take a little power nap. Take a snooze, no big deal, it's just a massive storm. So he's sleeping, disciples are all losing their minds, they're absolutely terrified. He wakes up and he says, where's your faith? Just showing that faith and being terrified by fear, they don't usually go well together. So he says, where's your faith? And he stands up and says, wind, waves, stop. And immediately, the wind and the waves stop. And these guys are astonished, they marvel, they are in awe, they respect, they revere Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So we see God the Father speaking. We see Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, speaking. God's voice is powerful. He is powerful. You know, I remember my wife and I, we went on a date when we were dating. I took her to this very romantic night out. We went to Dairy Queen, and uh, I had a two-can-dine coupon, so we really splurged. But we, uh, we, once we finished eating, we got in the car, and we're about to drive. We're going to drop her off at home, and it started pouring so hard. Like, it was raining so hard. I actually couldn't see anything. Wipers wouldn't do anything, and I was kind of terrified to drive. And so we just said, hey, we should just pray. And so we put our hands towards the windshield, and we just prayed in Jesus' name for the rain to stop, and the rain immediately stopped, immediately And our mouths dropped. We looked at each other. And I'm sure she was thinking, who is this man that even the wind and the waves? I asked her. She said, I definitely did not think of that. (laughs) I mean, you took me to Dairy Queen, okay? So you're obviously, anyways. Um, But you know what? We looked at each other. We were in awe. And then, you know, a couple seconds later, it started pouring again. We were like, phew. Could you imagine if that worked? We were just terrified. I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing. But this is what Jesus does. Everything was made by him and for him, Colossians says. He's powerful. He's powerful. The second is he's light. So he's powerful. We are powerless without him. Second is he is light, and without him we live in complete darkness. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light. In him there is absolutely no darkness at all. So to live in light is to live in absolute truth. And we live in a world today where there is no absolute truth. In fact, the world, the world operates exactly opposite of God. We live in chaos. We live in falsehood. We live in godlessness. And the Bible warns us to be in the world, but not to be of the world. To not be conformed to the ways of this world, but to be renewed by the transforming of our minds. Romans says this. So we're called to live different, to operate different in light of this truth that he is light. And we live in a world that is full of darkness. What happens for us when we are tainted by this world? 
when we take in the ways of the world, we start to get distracted by the ways of this world, what happens in our lives? We do not have the fear of God. There's no reverence. There's no respect. We are not in awe of who he really is. Romans 3, 10 to 18. Not a popular passage. You'll see why. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. Why? Because of verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is what it looks like when we live like the world and we are of the world and in the world. John three nineteen to 21 again describes this for us. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear, bad fear, crippling fear, that their deeds will be exposed. So this is how the world operates in darkness and God only operates with no darkness, all light. John 8, 12, Jesus applies this title of light to himself. As he's talking to the, to, the, to the Jews and to the states, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So just like we see God creating with his voice, and we see the image of the invisible God speaking to creation as well, the same thing. God says he's light, and then we see the, the image of the invisible God declaring himself as light. He is light, and we live in darkness. Now, if we are living, like I said, there's kind of two groups, some that are going to be comforted today and some that are going to be afflicted. If we are living in disobedience and we're walking around with our get-out-of-jail-free card and openly and willingly walking in sin, your fear will be a little different. You will be a little terrified when you see that God is powerful, that he is light, that he is just. That he's not just the man upstairs. And so we said he's powerful, he's light. Thirdly, he is just and we are unjust. See, this perfect light actually reveals the reality that all of us are unjust. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time, but wait for the Lord to come. He will bring to light all that is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. God is just, and if we walk in disobedience and darkness without that proper perspective of who he is and the perspective of who we are, that we are in desperate need of him, we are walking in darkness, we are not living with obedience and holiness, and he is just, so that is a little scary. Now, how does he judge? What does it look like? Does he have standards in his judging? Now, this is not how God judges. This is not the reality. He doesn't use kind of like the bell curve system where he just kind of looks at us and kind of takes a general average and judges that way. He doesn't judge by comparison, looking at the person on your left or your right and judging you according to how good you are compared to him or her. Because if that was the case, if we're standing at the pearly gates of heaven, we're ready to get in and we're standing behind Mother Teresa, yeah, we look like pagans. <laughs> We would not look good at all. But this is not how he judges. It's not about how, the, how much good works we do. 
how nice we are. It's about fearing God, putting our trust and our hope in Jesus alone. And as the passage said in Deuteronomy, seeking after him, walking after him, holding fast to him, serving him. I think of the uh, two thieves on the cross on Calvary, and Jesus is in the middle. One thief is hurling insults, making fun, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save us, save yourself. And the other one, what does he say? He says, don't you fear God? And then he looks at Jesus, and he has clearly the proper perspective of who Jesus is, and he has the proper perspective of who he is, and says, please, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what does Jesus say in Luke 23? He says, today I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. See, the criminal who feared God had the proper perspective of who God was. He saw the image of the invisible God in Jesus. And it wasn't because of the criminal's good works. In fact, the criminal says himself, we are punished justly for we are getting what we deserve. But this man did nothing wrong. The criminal feared God, and that led to him entering the kingdom of heaven. Do you have a proper perspective of who God is? Is God just the man upstairs, or is he all-powerful, all-light, and just? And do you have a proper perspective of yourself? Do you realize that it's not just about being a good person, but in fact, without him, we're powerless, we live in darkness, and we are far from walking justly? How do we get this proper perspective? It does come from the right heart posture, which is point number two. Fearing God is actually a matter of the heart and has nothing to do with the mind. Going back to the story of the two criminals on the cross, he knew that God is just. He admits that the deeds he has done deserve the punishment that he is getting. There is a humility there that he understands the need for a savior. Fearing God is not a state of the mind that you can guarantee yourself in five steps or this easy self-help efforts. The fear of God is birthed in a person's heart. Our passage, Deuteronomy 13, 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandments, and obey his voice. Keeping his commandments, obeying the voice, serving him, serving him with your whole heart, dying to yourself to serve him. These are all postures of the heart. This is the right posture of the heart. Humility and obedience. And it's not just about keeping the commandments. Psalm 112, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So it's not about just doing good and doing right. It's not someone who just reluctantly attempts to do these outward actions to show I'm following, I'm serving. It's actually doing it with delight. Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in our entire Bible, 176 verses, and all the verses are basically saying over and over and over again how obsessed the psalmist is with the commandments, how he takes delight in the commandments. He loves the law. He loves the decrees. He loves the commands. He is just obsessed with God's commandments. This is just evidence of a person who fears God. There's respect. There's reverence. There's someone who is in awe of who God is and recognizes who he is without him. See, bad fear cripples us. It paralyzes us. It causes us separation from God. 
We don't trust him because we don't have the proper perspective of who he is. But when we have a healthy fear, when we are in awe and respect and reverence to the Lord, our desire is to live in humility, is to have the right heart posture. And it is to, when we have humility and we live in obedience, our desire is to run away from sin as fast as we can. That is a key evidence of someone who is living with a healthy fear of the Lord, that respect, reverence, and awe. They want to run away from their sin as fast as they can. The thief on the cross identifies that Jesus is the Son of God, fears him, asks Jesus to remember him. Humility is identifying the need for a Savior. The Bible says no one is good, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in this together. We deserve the punishment that we deserve, but Jesus comes. And if we humble ourselves, recognize who he is, we're forgiven and we're set free. Humility is saying, the Lord, you are powerful, I'm powerless. You are light, I live in darkness. You are just and I'm far from walking justly. And when we recognize this and realize this, it's our desire to run from sin and to be more like him. Think of Exodus 20:20. The moment right after the 10 commandments come, they see they hear the voice of the Lord, they see smoke coming up from the mountains, they're just trembling, they hear the trumpet sound, there's thunder, there's lightning, all kinds of things. They stay at a distance and actually the people say, "Speak to us yourself, Moses, and we'll listen. But whatever you do, don't let God speak to us again because if he speaks to us again, we're going to die." This is how powerful the voice of the Lord is. They're terrified. And what does Moses say? He says, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So when we have this right heart posture towards God, when we have the proper perspective of who he is, who we are, it's our desire to run from sin and to live a life of humility, repentance, and obedience, acknowledging our need for a Savior. Hebrews 11.7 talks about the fear of the Lord, the holy fear when they describe the life of Noah. See, Noah warned, verse 7, Noah warned, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. Humility and obedience. Everyone's laughing at him, poking fun at him, mocking him. There's not going to be rain. What are you talking about? But in holy fear, he ignores what society said about him or to him. And in humility and obedience did what God said. Think of Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. This promise from God, and God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. He doesn't wait about it, debate, procrastinate, think, maybe that wasn't God, maybe that was the pizza I had yesterday. What the heck's going on? He wakes up the next morning early, saddles his donkey, and goes to a place that God's going to show him. He doesn't even know which, where he's going. He just knows God said, go this way. There's not a clear picture of where he's going to go, where he's going to end up. And right before he's about to slay his son, his one and only son, the promise that God gave him, God calls from heaven and says, stop, don't touch the boy. And in the message translation, it says, now that I know how fearlessly you fear God. Obedience and humility, and God makes another way for the sacrifice. It was a test, and we know this. See, a heart posture of humility and obedience leads us to a life of healthy fear. Fearing God starts with the heart, and then we gain humility and obedience when we have a proper perspective of who he is and who we are in him. So a proper perspective, 
the right heart posture, and number three, pursuing his presence. Deuteronomy, our passage, you shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, and serve him, hold fast to him. So the verses illuminate to us that we walk after him. We serve him, we hold fast to him. It's active. It's constantly trying to abide in him. It is pursuing his presence daily. This is a minute-by-minute commitment. This is not like we can just say, I'm going to fear the Lord today, and it's like a set-it-and-forget-it mentality. This is actively pursuing the presence of God every moment. What does it look like to walk after the Lord, to hold fast to him? It means whatever he says, we do. Wherever he tells us to go, we go. Whatever our life we have, we accept and we serve him in it. When he speaks, we listen, we obey. Because God continuously speaks to us. And many times we miss it. I always tell people, you know what? God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. But oftentimes we speak twice as much as we listen. But God is always on the move, and it requires us to be actively pursuing his presence, to see where he's going, where he's leading, what can we do to serve and love him. Think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses. It's just in the message says, take your everyday life, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're walking around life, you're going to work, and offer to God as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. And so this is active, our waking, our sleeping, our eating, our going around. This is how we fear God, respect God, revere God, adore God, worship God. It's a pursuit that is just consistent. We need to constantly pursue his presence everywhere we go. And as we live a life fearing the Lord, we respect, revere, we're in awe of him, we worship him, we praise him, we hold him to high esteem. And when we do this, we become more and more in love with him and we continue to get more of a proper perspective of how amazing he is and how good he is, how powerful he is, how just he is. You know, who God is should overwhelm us. I, uh, I think of the movie of Narnia and I think of, you know, the, the beavers are talking to the kids and they're talking about Aslan and these kids are like, okay, who is this guy? And they say, well, he's actually a lion. I say, well, a lion, like... Shouldn't I be scared? Is he safe? He's a lion. Of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. And so who God is should overwhelm us when we have a perspective, when we have the right heart posture. We'll want to pursue his presence when we see his goodness, his holiness. So what does that look like practically for us? How do we practically pursue his presence? Read his word, study the Bible, learn who he is, talk to him, seek him. Spend time listening, like I said. Oftentimes we drown out silence. I am so bad at being silent. I always like things to kind of just distract me, put the TV on in the background, put the radio on in the background. Uh, now I have two kids, so there's no such thing as silence anymore. Uh, it's just always loud, so it's actually a struggle, and silence is really nice now, but uh, whenever I get it. But uh, learn to love him, to listen to him, to stop, to wait, to abide in him. That's how we... Pursue him constantly. I'll call the band to come up as we close here. And, um, you know, as we, just to kind of sum up for us today. Oftentimes, we think of the word fear, we think negative, And God is not asking us to be terrified of him. But he is asking us to honor him, to respect him, to revere him, to declare him holy 
He is worthy of our praise and our worship. And so that's a healthy fear of who God is. So to fear God is to get the proper perspective of who He is and who we are in Him and who we are if we're not in Him. It's when our hearts are turned towards Him, God filling us with humility and a desire for us to live a life of obedience when we have that right heart posture. And the more we pursue His presence, the more respect and reverence and being in awe we will have towards Him. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and that one may turn away from the snares of death. And so this healthy fear, this healthy fear of the Lord actually protects us and gives us life. The bad fear paralyzes and cripples. The good fear protects us and gives us life and keeps us from sinning. So my question for us today Do you fear God? Like, do you seriously fear God? Do you give Him the respect, the reverence? Are you in awe of Him all the time? And just like I shared with Pastor Mark and how he just shared so vulnerably about where he's at, and it's a reminder that all those who preach and teach, we're actually preaching and teaching to ourselves, and that was the case for him, and this is the case for me today. When I went for a walk with Michelle yesterday, I just kind of said, do I actually fear God? Do I, am I actually in awe and complete reverence of who He is? Or do I get distracted by the ways of the world, the sparkly things that are going to turn to rust and moth are going to kill and eat, destroy everything? Do I get so consumed by the ways of this world that I start to just be tainted and live in this world? And it's a question I had to ask myself and I wrestle with and I still wrestle with because I'm so easily distracted. And so for you, do you fear God? Do you have the right perspective that he's more than the man upstairs, but he is the almighty God who breathes out stars? Even in this moment, he's naming them. The song we sang, it's your breath in our lungs that he actually is making us alive today to be here in this moment. The God who created everything, that he's powerful, he's light, he's just. And that we're powerless, do we get that? That we are so in need of a Savior? And so I'll just get us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And just for the two groups again, some of us are, the afflicted are being comforted and the comforted or maybe the comfortable are being afflicted today. And so just with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, just a moment between you and God. Maybe some of us might have to say, Lord, I repent of just not having the proper perspective of who you are. I have thought very low of you. I have thought very high of myself. And we say, Lord, would you just give us that shift in our heart? It starts in the heart. It starts with a heart posture of humility, saying, Lord, I need you. I'm powerless. I live in darkness. I am just walking unjustly. Maybe some of you are hearing his powerful voice calling you by name today, saying, come to me. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace. Because of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, came, lived a blameless life. He died. He rose. He conquered sin, death. Romans 3 that we read, 10 to 18, doesn't have to be us. We don't have to be living this way because of Jesus. 
Jesus could be that filter that God sees us through where we're forgiven and we're set free. And so stay in that comfort today that God loves you, he's for you. And that the punishment we deserve has been paid at that cross with those two thieves. And it's how are we going to react? Are we going to mock and ridicule him and make fun of him? Or are we going to say, wow, God, I fear you. And receive his grace that he so freely gives us. So some of us today might be making that decision for the first time. Okay, God, I get the perspective. I come in humility and I want to serve you and be obedient. I'll pray for both groups in the room today that God would just fill us afresh with his spirit and reveal his goodness and his grace, his power in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. This is the day you have made. We rejoice. We are glad. We thank you for your mercies that are new today, that we enter into new mercies because of who you are. And Lord, today we recognize that you are powerful and we are powerless without you that you are light and we live in darkness without you, that you are just and we deserve the punishment we would get without you. And so now we just say we want to point our hearts towards you. We want to serve you. We want to walk after you. We want to strive towards you. We want to run to you. We want to hold fast to you today. We don't want to look to the left, to the right, get distracted with anything. We want to look to you alone as our hope. We thank you that, Jesus, you are our living hope. And so we seek you with our hearts today. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your power. Would we be people who live out this fear, this respect, this reverence, being in awe of you all the time in our daily walk, our eating, sleeping, walking, going to work? Would we constantly be pursuing your presence with humility and obedience as we seek you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.